0: Hey, what's up, Star Wars family? It's me, Ro, from the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast, and welcome to the future. It's 2020, and on behalf of Brad, Alex, and yours truly, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your support as we create these wonderful podcast episodes just for you. And just a quick reminder, if you're new, thank you. We hope you enjoy and catch up on our back catalog of shows. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart, YouTube, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor, so please look for us wherever you get your quality podcasts. So tonight's episode, the first of the year's deals with something we can all relate to as fans, and fans is exactly what we're going to talk about, namely the term fan service. What are some of the things you think of when someone says, oh, that's just fan service? Well, we've got our resident Jedi archivist, Rob, from the Jedi Temple Archives, and my Imperial Rebel Rouser and Scoundrel, Alex, joining in on the discussion. I'm sure the term fan service means different things to different people. As part of the Star Wars community, we acknowledge that we are all fans, but it obviously depends on how deep your love goes, so that discussion could go in a variety of ways. Fan service. The Good, the Bad, and the Cringy on the of Scuttlebutt Podcast. Let's find out how deep your love goes.
1: Hey there, Scuttlebuddies. This is Rob, host of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. When you grab your sunscreen and your blasters, don't grab just any sunscreen, grab a bottle of Tuscan Tan. It's the only sunscreen rated to withstand a single reactor blast from the Death Star. And that can certainly come in handy when you're stationed at the Data Vault Archive on Scarif. You're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast.
0: Target the base at Scarif. Single reactor ignition. Yes, sir. Come fire when ready.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Sonny Ravencourt, holodrama star and guest lecturer at the University of Coruscant, and you're listening to Scarif Scuttlebutt, the best in smooth Gamorrean jazz. Hmm? No. Not even close. Really? Eh, I can fix this. You're listening to Scarif Scuttlebutt. Whatever it is they do, it's spectacular.
0: Approaching shield control, transmitting code clearance on ISB Channel 4. This is Scarif Substation, proceed to landing platform for further instructions from Scarif Control. Scarif Control, this is TK-226, in, Scarif Control.
2: This is Scarif Station, stand by. We see heavy fire down below, is the garrison deployed? We've had insurgents breach the shield. What's your status, TK-226? Control, just cleared the gate. Stand by to receive new orders. Scare of control. We'll coordinate an attack north of the Visage Ridge and send in the walkers.
1: TK-226, this is Commander Milan. Proceed to the north ridge and engage the rebels there. We've got them on the run, but we need your support. Repeat, we need your support!
0: Gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. This is Ro, the Mandarolian, and who else do we got here? Mr. Imperial Entanglements himself and JTA podcast. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing this evening?
3: I'm doing great. I'm hanging out with you guys, looking forward to talking about this great subject that we have. I I, I this is actually more exciting than I thought it would be. You you uh, told me what the subject was going to be. I was like, oh, "Okay, that could be kind of interesting." But now that I've had time to like mull it over and a little do a little bit of research I'm like yeah this is actually this could be kind of a deep topic
1: yeah I'm in the same boat I'm super excited to be talking to you guys we always have a great time talking Star Wars Uh, it's a little bit different you know not having the uh, the live audience uh, for one of these recordings but um, it's definitely exactly what Alex said I mean fan service seems like a pretty straightforward idea but when you really start digging into it it's different for every person uh, you can make arguments for why certain things are or aren't fan service. Um, and then, you know, especially we talked a little bit about the fact that Rogue One is, you know, that the film that was the love letter to the fans, it was the inspiration for kind of the name of your podcast. Uh, certainly one of my favorite Star Wars films. But there's a lot of people who consider that to have a lot of, uh, of fans service in it. And again, uh, it, it really is kind of one of those uh, polarizing topics
0: definitely that's why uh we picked it uh it's a very interesting topic and uh let's get right into it thank you guys for joining us this is uh the scaref scuttlebutt podcast and check that out you got a little baby yoda
3: tumbler nice this is let's... this is yours bro oh my god oh. this is going in your swag box uh, nice for wow. being a supporter of my other podcast you donated a absolute metric butt ton of money and I was like I gotta gotta get that guy some swag. So I got you the baby Yoda cup. I saw it and I was like, I gotta get it. It's nice. It's a no brainer, man. So this yeah, is I, yours. Uh, It'll be in the mail tomorrow for you, buddy. Excellent, excellent.
0: Definitely gonna enjoy some uh, some coffee in that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Welcome so we are uh we're here, we're talking about uh you know, I, I, I love the fact that we picked some very interesting topics. I've been actually listening to um the last one that we did uh with brad when he was around uh you know the legacy of balance of the force mm-hmm. uh alex at the end you said that uh, we definitely baked some noodles and uh that should be our mission our, our mission all the time to uh, bake some noodles so uh we are here tonight to talk about fan service the good the bad the ugly the cringy And uh, thank you guys for joining us. So let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, I was uh, skimming through the internet and I found this article uh, from Film School Rejects website has an article um, defining fan service. And uh, it's uh, in short, they introduced the notion that uh, said that fan service is the idea that the creator falls back on known tropes, something easy to do instead of bringing new and fresh things to the table and then in most franchises it's taken as a bad thing like a four letter word as we're talking about as in the title of tonight's episode full disclaimer though I for one love fan service when it's done right and I know when uh I uh posted uh, the uh d- you know title of this episode tonight uh some people got a little uh, I don't want to say triggered but they were kind of pushing back a little bit um, you know, obviously that tells me a lot. It tells us that when people uh, talk fan service, it's usually on the negative side. Uh, have you guys uh, come across this uh, when dealing with fans out there?
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah, people are, I mean, especially with Star Wars, people are always very outspoken about their opinions on uh, what takes them out of the movie a lot of the time. If they comment on a moment during one of the films where they're like you know I liked most of it but this moment really was like a eye roll moment like oh another fan service like it didn't need to be there it was just obvious that it was overly obvious why it was there and it was just to to get like a giggle out of the fans people they don't really like that very much and um I'm kind of with you Ro it takes a lot for me to be uh upset at fan service I'm a fan I've I've been a fan my entire life. Service me some some good old stuff in the movies, you know. <laughs> sure. Little shout outs and Easter eggs, and and even the more blatant obvious stuff. It it really doesn't bother me, but I do see the other side of the uh, of the coin, uh, even though I don't agree with it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Now I'll I'll take it back to Rogue One, one of my favorites, and we were just talking about it a few minutes ago. The new Star Wars uh, film, probably first and foremost, because of the fan service is one of the reasons I enjoy it. Uh, we can talk about some of these elements. Um, Rob, let's start with you. What, uh, what kind of, uh, things do you like when it comes to fan service and what kind of things do you, are, 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 like Alex said, uh, eye rolling moments. Do you have any of those?
1: Um, you know, it's hard to think of any with star Wars, I guess for me, um, the biggest thing is that as long as it's in service to the greater story or isn't you know kind of uh, uh, you know creating a, a dis a dissonance or a discord with with the storyline i don't really have a problem with it i think that um it's interesting star wars has been going on for so long uh and there's so many different people that have kind of jumped on the star wars bandwagon or, or attached to star wars at different points kind of in the, the cycle that it's been out there that um, in some cases, some of those callbacks help tie the films together, uh, given the fact that it's been floating around out there for about 43 years. And again, I mean, you listen to the music within the Star Wars films, and even John Williams uh, has callbacks in the music to earlier things within the within the franchise. And you never hear anyone really complaining about that. So it's meant to kind of tie together a, a, a pattern of thought or a theme or... Uh, you know, some sort of similarity between the characters in many cases. I know that there were a lot of people who said that they felt like Rogue One was a lot of fan service. And of course, you know, fan service, retcon, all these types of things that are such big terms in, in the, uh, the fan fandom today. But when it really boils down to it, you know, Rogue One was supposed to feel like, uh the original star wars or a new hope if you prefer to call it that it was supposed to tie into that it was supposed to provide that story and i thought they did a lot of great things i mean to to set up a group of characters that you actually connect with by the end of you know a standard length film and actually care what happens to them is no small feat in my book
0: yeah i agree alex uh, your thoughts on rogue one
3: uh rogue one i it's probably my favorite disney era star wars movie um, even above the force awakens which has kind of dropped down on my list uh as the as that trilogy has kind of come to an end um but rogue one i think was just a, a fantastic love letter um and all those moments like we'll get specific if you don't mind um i know a lot of people like just aesthetically, I know mean, we talked to Yoshi about it. Like why does Rogue One look so different uh, from the the Saga movies, you know, 7, 8, and 9? And he's like, it's it's all on how you create the art. Like you, you actually use digital paintbrushes to paint the sets to make it look like somebody was actually painting them with real paintbrushes. You know, it's all in the aesthetic. It, it felt kind of like it felt used and built, whereas opposed to the, the newer movies, everything kind of feels a little polished. Even though JJ did bring back a lot of the aesthetic of of practical effects and stuff, there was just something different about Rogue One. And I think that in itself, just the aesthetic of the feel of the backgrounds and of the the world they lived in, that itself was kind of a fan servicey moment throughout the entire thing. And I, I that's one of my favorite things about that movie. I loved it. Um, but one of the I think one of the things that somebody had talked to me about being like an eye-rolling moment was when we got to see um, Remind me his name, the doctor from A New Hope, uh, the the messed up Ponda, face guy. Ponda Baba. Yeah, the doctor, doctor something. I've got Do the death sentence gone? on twelve systems. Um, yeah. When they see him and his buddy uh, on Jakku, not Jakku, I'm sorry, on uh, Jeddah, yeah. and they're like, just it's just a passing moment. It has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the film. It's just they are extras in this in in this world in this universe and somebody pointed that out and said like hey look man like who are these guys why are they why would they happen to be on J- on jedda um, it makes no sense they have no reason to be there it's just a, it's a fan service moment and i'm like yeah so <laughs> that was great i loved it you know it has like like i said i think the way i look at fan service um, even though i like i said i'm real hard uh, to get annoyed by it I, I love it so it's it's difficult for me to say that i don't like something in one of these movies that might be fan service but um i look at it like this if, if there's a moment in the in the movie that is kind of like an easter egg or a little bit of a callback it doesn't have anything really uh to do with the plot it, it doesn't have any bearing on what the characters are doing it's just part of the universe like that doesn't bother me at all um The some of the negative side of fan service, in my opinion, uh, even though I really enjoyed the movie uh, in The Force Awakens, when we see Ray and Finn running away from the stormtroopers uh, for the First Order and the TIE fighters shooting at them. And she's like, we need a or uh, Finn's like, we need a pilot. You know, what about that ship? Oh, that's garbage. Don't take that ship. And then the camera pans over and it's the Falcon. Whoa. Like, that's a heavy fan service moment. And it makes really no logical sense why the millennium falcon this iconic ship from star wars would be in the middle of jakku <laughs> and they spent the next half of the movie trying to explain why the falcon was on this planet for no reason so it's just like those moments are a little tougher to chew on if you really think about it. like it's a very heavy plot convenience that this iconic ship just so happened to be on this planet where where the main the new main protagonist is is living uh, so it's like things like that I can understand are like, ah, it's, it's a little bit heavy handed. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I still love it, man. I, I'm a fan and I like to uh, I like to have those moments.
0: That's funny. I'm the uh, complete opposite of you. I love the Millennium Falcon fan service thing in Force Awakens and the uh, Walrus Man and what's his name. Yeah. Um, those were those. That moment was eye rolling for me. Really? Yeah. So it's 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 really funny. It's really funny. So you know, I was mentioning to a buddy when we were discussing this upcoming uh, episode how, in a franchise as old as Star Wars and others like it, it's difficult to avoid some manner of so called fan service or without using it in a disparaging manner as a crowd-pleasing methodology. You know, we've got uh, tons of moments that please fans, like going back to Tatooine on Mandalorian, seeing Mostafar in Rise of Skywalker, or lines that repeat from time to time, like, you can dispense with the pleasantries, Commander, or I have a bad feeling about this. Um, all quite uh, distinctly uh, distinct moments that uh, would please a fan, But uh, do you guys have any problems with that type of callbacks? Um, I know we talked a little bit about that, but uh, what, uh, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, things that have kind of turned into tradition, like I have a bad feeling about this, I think those things are kind of, uh, they need to be there. There's some callbacks that need to be in a Star Wars in order for it to kind of feel good. Uh, What do you guys think of that? Rob, let's start with you.
1: Well. I guess the most recent thing that I can think of uh, just after having rewatched the Mandalorian season one uh, you know, the, the ongoing joke about stormtroopers and their uh, horrible aim with their blasters. And you get right there at the beginning of season eight, where the scout troopers are sitting there on their bikes, trying to shoot the can or whatever it was, the piece of technology that was laying on the ground. And, you know, they couldn't hit it if they had, if they had to, uh, to save their lives. So, I was actually shocked that when the guy took a swing at at, uh, Baby Yoda in the bag that he connected. So, um, (laughs) you know, there's that ongoing theme of stormtroopers and their terrible aim. uh, And I just feel like that's kind of part of of Star Wars uh, and something that connects with a lot of the fans. Certainly, like you said, there's a lot of those recurring, uh, you know, sayings, the, you know, I've got a bad feeling about this. Um, Even kind of the way they used it in Solo, you know, where he was like, I've got a really good feeling about this. Kind of the pre um the young optimistic Han Solo as opposed to the one that's kind of been been schooled by the the universe but uh you know those those types of things I recognize them for what they are which is just kind of that thing that is a running a running gag or a running theme within all the Star Wars uh films and shows and everything but they don't really take me out of it and I'm in the same boat as Alex I, it's really hard to kind of bother me uh or make me feel like the fan service is is being done in a negative or kind of heavy-handed way um because i feel like really what it is all about to me is the is the overall story if they're telling a story and that story makes sense within the confines of the canon that, that has been established and i don't have a problem with it um and and then the things that do take me out of it are really the things that are dissonant with the story that's come before and that's one of the struggles that i had with the last jedi
0: yeah, that's uh, the uh, the uh, biker scouts at the beginning of that one episode is uh, another uh, issue I had with with that scene. And Alex, we've talked about this before. Oh, I um, loved it. But yeah, it's it's funny because now they're taking they're they're taking something that is well known outside the universe behind the scenes in the real world. Stormtroopers can't shoot, ha ha ha, and they're putting it into the into the universe, uh, into the universe, which I I have. Uh, I have my issues uh, over overt comedy in my Star Wars, and I know you guys, um, Matt Vader at least makes fun of me for that. But, <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I yeah. can
3: see I can see why you think that, but I think I want to push back on that a little bit. I think if you would have had that that same scene in uh, in the Mandalorian, without the context of knowing the inside joke uh, among the fans that you know stormtroopers are are incredibly bad at, at shooting things. Um, that could just be a, a moment for those two guys who have already kind of shown that they're a bit incompetent. They don't really, you know, they're not, they're just goofy guys just kind of on the job, you know, tooling around. They're just, they're not like the, the evil stormtroopers that you see, uh, you know, marching down the halls of the Jedi temple with Anakin. They're just kind of like, eh, this is just a gig. This is just a, do- a job for me. And these two particular stormtroopers are, are bad at, at shooting their pistols. Like, if you take, if you take that context away and you kind of just watch the scene, you're like, oh, it's just those two guys, these two goofballs can't hit that can. But then when you, when you look at it from a meta point of view, like Roe is, and you're like, look, man, I've, I've heard this joke a million times for the past 40 years. You know, it's like, you know, it's a little off-putting to see it in the movie. Uh, I think that gives it a different connotation, but, uh, Uh, One of the other things that you guys mentioned um, about Solo, that was a great point too, Rob, about how Solo kind of went from like, I have a really good feeling about this to we know him saying, I have a bad feeling about this. Right. Um, There was a moment in Solo that, I don't know if it would be categorized as uh, fan service, but we actually hear the um, Imperial March inside the movie. It's Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what is uh, Matthew Kadish call it? Diegetic, I think is when it's inside the film, or I can't remember what he used, but... I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm, not no, that's, that's I'm not smart that's enough. I'm not smart enough to use those big words. Um, there was a moment in the in, in it made the Imperial March no longer a soundtrack for the movie, but it was literally a song in the in real world for these stormtroopers to march to. And th- you know that's that can be questionable whether or not you think that's like a little bit like way too over the top fan service because now now we know that the Empire actually uses that that song uh to drive its troops which is kind of weird to think about <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know what do you guys think
0: and actually uh that was done even before solo it was done in rebels there was uh, an episode in rebels where it was empire day and actually it's it's around the same time that it was this actually it was the same empire day as in solo uh, but rebels did it first uh um in the uh in the cartoons it was empire day well that's a uh, deep using, car, though. nice yeah <laughs> That's what we nerds do. Well, here's a perfect time to break away for a bit and tell you about today's episode. First of all, I apologize for the sound quality on this, as it's not up to par with the QC measures Scarif Station is used to. We've had some rebel intrusion and have dispatched a garrison of Krennic's best shore troopers to take care of this rebellious uprising. This episode is part one of a two-part mega-crossover episode on fan service. So when you're done here, head on over to the Jedi Archives on Coruscant with Rob and the Jedi Temple Archives. And if you're not following the Jedi Temple Archives, you really should. He's got great interviews with folks like the Mando Mercs, 501st, and a slew of great Star Wars discussions. And speaking of Coruscant, we've recently obtained a series of secret lectures from Holodrama star and guest lecturer at the University of Coruscant, Dr. Sonny Ravencourt. Let's take a quick break from the discussion to listen to guest lecturer Ravencourt, and perhaps we can ascertain the true nature of this rebellion.
2: why'd you start the hollow? Because I'm not done with my calf yet, Todd. Who's the famous hollow drama star here? <sighs> That's right. All right, let's do this. Hi, I'm Dr. Sonny Ravencourt, a famous former hollow drama star and now guest lecturer at the University of Coruscant. Find my lectures at universityofcoruscant.com and podcatchers everywhere. Some guys from Scarif paid my exorbitant fee to speak with you today, and so we are going to talk about Trandoshans. Trandoshans are a bipedal humanoid race, and that's about it when it comes to comparing them to humans. They are bigger, stronger, meaner, and their limbs grow back if you cut them off. Also, they look like lizards. Uh, So humanoid is a bit of a stretch, but I guess technically true. Trandoshan anatomy is very reptilian, particularly the scaly skin and reptile eyes. Uh, Their head is somewhat pointed forward with deep-set eyes and a short snout that is filled with pointy teeth. Their arms look a little bit too long for their body, uh, particularly in the forearm, but I mean, who am I to judge? Maybe for a long forearms are attractive. Uh, a Trandoshan will typically have three or four fingers, one of which acts like a thumb. For Trandoshans, hunting is a religion. They worship a goddess called the Scorekeeper. The scorekeeper exists beyond time and space and literally keeps score. Assassinating a target, capturing a bounty, all of it earns points for the afterlife. Wookies were particularly valuable targets, which is why Trandoshans are often referred to as Wookiee hunters. If a Trandoshan is captured, its score will go to zero, but then if it kills the captor, well, I mean, you get the points back. Fun. Trandoshans are built for combat, and combat is their life, love, and religion. I highly recommend avoiding them as drinking buddies. Ooh, and it looks like time is up. Todd, process the payment, send it to Scarif with an autograph picture, and stop drawing a heart after you sign my name. It's embarrassing. <laughs>
0: We now return to your regularly scheduled program. Goodness gracious me. One of the shots, talking about fan service and other franchises, So one of the shots people have been known to complain regarding fan service was the female hero shot towards the end of Endgame when they all kind of came out of that portal and they all walked, you know, did their little slow-mo walk. Um, I, for one, remember the theater going nuts when all the Lady Avengers did their signature slow-mo walk uh, out of the portal, but yet people still complained. I mean, does this type of thing cross the line to please a segment of the fandom? What do you guys think, Rob?
1: Uh, It's always, uh, I feel like that's kind of tricky ground. I know for me personally, when I saw that, uh, that was something that I just felt was like super heavy-handed and and really blatantly obvious, Uh, and it's... It's interesting in a film franchise like uh, the Marvel films and and all of the Avenger movies and the individual you know superhero films within that. Uh, they do not have a shortage of strong female characters, and I know that's kind of a, a big thing. But it's interesting that that you know it's such a hot topic in this day and age. But they make it sound like there really weren't strong female characters in the past, and certainly talking about Star Wars. I mean, Princess Leia right off the bat. Uh, she took command of her own rescue right um so she established herself very quickly she was not the princess in need in need of escape or help escaping she could pretty much handle herself uh, and she was like that throughout the entire franchise so um and you look at other film franchises right alien the alien series you know you got sigourney weaver and her character of ripley who was very very much capable of taking care of herself, so it's not like that that there haven't been films in the past where that has been highlighted. I kind of feel like in in some ways it's a little bit on the manufactured side uh, in the current day, and you know, I know that within the original trilogy, right, you had George Lucas in Return of the Jedi who had been kind of feeling the pressure to have a lot of uh, representation of, of characters from other races beyond just what he had done with Lando Calrissian. Um, within the the empire strikes back and that was a big part of kind of what drove some of the casting and uh return of the jedi i just i feel like it's yeah and we could tie this conversation into the kathleen kennedy and her and her recent comments about having a female director uh, that's going to be producing some upcoming star wars content you know how like are you that? doing
0: how are you doing chewbacca
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, my thing is just that, you know, use whoever the best person is for that particular, for that role, for that job, for whatever. And, and it should be based on merit more than uh, race or sex or whatever. And I know that in the past, it, that often has not been the case, but I'm really hoping that, you know, kind of as we move into the, into the future, that is less and less the case.
0: It's very interesting that sort of thing kind of uh, works on you subliminally uh, you know obviously uh, Rob, you're right uh, the right uh, to as Scotty would say the right tool for the right job uh, but the right person for the right uh, you know right position uh, director writer whoever as long as they are true to the story but it does kind of work uh, like I was saying work on you on, on a subliminal uh, level. Um, I love Rogue One. I loved the fact that uh, Diego Luna was in Rogue One as, as Cassian Andor. Um, I never really thought about the fact that he was a Mexican actor until I saw him on screen, and I'm like, oh, wow, he, this, it's a Mexican actor in Star Wars. I'm a Mexican guy that loves Star Wars. So it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing, and obviously it, it does play... On, you know social, political uh, you know roads there and, and, and stuff. And, and, and again, even before Diego Luna, I just never thought like you know I, I don't I really didn't care. But until I saw him and I saw a representation of of my race on screen, um, it just it turned into something uh, completely different. Um, I appreciated the fact that they selected Diego Luna to play a role in Star Wars. It, obviously, it helped that he was good, and he was accepted into uh, into the fandom and and it was fantastic. Um, and so I, I don't even know if it's if it's something that should be pursued um, like on purpose, like with an agenda. Um I think it's a very uh, dangerous, slippery slope to really push hard any agenda. I think one of the things, especially with what Kathleen Kennedy is saying, there definitely will be a woman uh, female director. And that's that's fine. That's great. I think we we do need, you know, additional voices uh, in Star Wars to tell these stories. But as long as the stories are good, I don't care who's behind them. Um, I think, uh, you know, to be able to see somebody else's point of view is obviously uh, a great thing for us to grow um, on all levels. Again, you know, Star Wars is uh is a grand galaxy that I think uh should be should have uh, many different voices. What uh after that rant, what do you guys uh what do you guys feel about that?
3: Uh I don't disagree with anything that you said. Um I definitely do think that talent should come before uh anybody's gender, race or, or creed or whatever. Um they just need to be a good director and or storyteller and be somebody who understands star Wars and understands what it needs to be in order to stay true to its heart. Uh, if you have all those things, then, you know, who cares what anything else, nothing else matters. Uh, and I, I want to point out like Kathleen Kennedy is very, uh, adamant about having a woman director, which makes sense. She's always kind of leaned that direction uh, politically in the past. And it's th- now that she's kind of the, Calling the shots, um, more or less, you can definitely uh, lean on that a little bit. I just want to point out that john Favreau, uh, when he was making The Mandalorian, I mean his his cast and crew is is incredibly diverse, and, and uh, his his directors that he chose. You got Bryce Dallas Howard in there. You got Deborah Chow. Um, I can't remember the uh, the director who directed the Gunslinger episode. Um, he has a he has a crazy name I can't remember what it is it's but uh, he he's crazy talented I, I love that episode it was probably one of my the best ones uh, so you know John Favreau is kind of already on top of that and he's kind of on that same page although you don't see him really kind of preaching about it it's just kind of like no this is what I'm gonna do these are the people I'm gonna use you know he doesn't have to make a big announcement about it or make a big hula on uh, on social media or anything like that it's just kind of like Business, it is, as, it is what business it is. as usual. Yeah, it is yeah. what it is. This is normal activity for me. I'm just going to use the most talented people. I really don't care where they come from or or what language they speak. Um, so I, I would like to see more of that um, in in what you guys are talking about as far as fan service goes. If you're including like behind the scenes stuff as fan service, um, and you mentioned that uh, that scene from uh, Endgame, I, I was it was very heavy handed. I'm not going to kind of sugarcoat it or anything. It was very heavy handed, but to me um being the final film in that 23 movie overarching story um to have that one moment you know 10 15 seconds on screen where it's kind of like hey girl power let's do this like it didn't bother me it it felt deserved i guess of what i'm trying to say after so many movies of seeing all these characters and and building them up to have them in the final battle scene you know it's kind of like I guess if we're watching the sequel trilogy to have that moment where han luke and leia and everybody was on the falcon together like just have that one moment where we get to see them together one last time or whatever like kind of along those lines it's not quite the same it's kind of a bad analogy but <laughs> um to me it didn't bother me because it felt like it was just deserved and it didn't like didn't take up that much screen time where it was like a huge thing it was just kind of of a quick moment so
0: yeah, I, th- I thought it was cool, and obviously all those characters are uh, really neat and uh, part of the that universe, so it uh, it didn't seem off to me as far as fan service. It, it, like you said, it felt deserved. Uh, it felt well-placed for me anyways. Um, but we've got uh, a comment from one of our followers, Lula702, uh, says, question for us, guys. Do you think what people are considering fan service um, is truly fan service, or a deliberate attempt to stir the pot, provoke discussion of all kinds, good and ugly, and hold a mirror up to what we are? And she, in parentheses, she wrote "Lesbian Kiss" and "Rise of the Rise of Skywalker." Semper Fi, Danny uh, had a similar comment. Talks about that as well. The problem isn't fan service. The problem is when they decide what type of fan to be served. For instance, Reylo kiss, uh, Luke catching the lightsaber in 9 after tossing it an 8, etc. It still has to work into the larger body of canon and not contradict it. Um, and uh, in the mix, a guy on Yavin 4 says, I'm a fan of Star Wars and want to be serviced, so service <laughs> me. Just like uh, what you said, Alex.
3: Yeah. That's a good point about, um, I think there's there's so much behind the scenes nonsense between the last jedi and the rise of skywalker that all those like retconning fan servicey moments i feel like i don't necessarily think that those can be included in this discussion because they are so like so ingrained in the last two years of this like blood feud that fan that fans have had against each other whether you love the last Jedi or not it's like yeah i mean i can't disagree yeah it is a little weird like obviously they're choosing who to kind of uh, uh play to um but like if you look at, 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 at like the original trilogy or even the prequel trilogy which i think might have some real cringy uh fan service moments <laughs> in my opinion but uh like this this sequel trilogy man because of all the nonsense online and because of of the last jedi feud and all this stuff like it feels like that it's a different type of fan service. It doesn't feel like your regular run-of-the-mill fan service stuff. Mm. It feels like a whole... It's like on a whole nother level. I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: Oh, I, I completely agree. I think that the issue that a lot of people have with Rise of Skywalker is very much tied into the behind-the-scenes issues between Episode 8 and Episode 9. Um, I felt like a lot of the hits that Episode 9 gets about Rush storytelling and everything is because... There was an agenda to kind of fix a lot of the things that happened with 8. The big question is going to be, and, and I don't know if we'll ever get the truth about it, is how much of that was JJ and how much of it was kind of being dictated from on high. Um, in, the, in just in the, uh, in the interest of making sure that they tried to reunify the fan base and didn't spoil the overall product. So it's that's a super tricky thing. Uh, what I, you know, going back to Rogue One, one of the things that I think is so interesting is that the diversity of that cast, when you look at it is incredible and it was done in such a way that you don't even really think about it until it becomes a topic that you're talking about. And then you go, God, I mean, from, from that group of the core group that we're watching, they're all across the board. Um, and i I wasn't consciously thinking about it when I was watching the film. I just knew that I really enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the story, and I thought that it all tied very well together so and you know when you look at Star Wars, you have a whole another a whole nother thing to consider because they're not only trying to show diversity within humans but they have to do it across multiple species and aliens and you know all this stuff so sometimes i think that you know they're so focused on one area maybe they don't think about another um certainly with the original trilogy it was in, you know it was indicative of kind of the time um and also you know some of the limitations they had in terms of where they were filming at and what actors were available uh in in britain uh when they were filming over there so there's just so many things that go into it um and i would say in terms of like the fan service argument we, we live in an age where Movies are no different than anything else. We are assailed twenty four seven with information about everything in media, be it news or film or whatever. We have all these online forums where you can go out and get involved in these discussions. and everyone has the ability to kind of express their opinion with some anonymity. Uh, and you know that was something that there wasn't a lot of back in the original trilogy days. I mean, you couldn't even go watch the film again unless they released it in the theater. So, um, you know, the times have changed. I think that uh, the debate has heated up as a result of that just because there's so much access and there's so much ability to go out there and just throw your opinion in the mix. And it doesn't really matter if you thought it out or whether you're just trying to stir the pot.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, so you know, since we're on this topic, uh, there's another article in uh written by uh, author Kristen Lopez. You know, the title of this one, you know, talking about stirring the pot, uh, says Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, is a fan service film in some of the worst ways. Now, she talks about uh, how uh, many fans that did not agree with the direction of The Last Jedi, quote, uh, thought of some of these elements, saying, quote, The Rise of Skywalker seeks to erase every bit of The Last Jedi with a movie that is, desperately, uh, that is desperate to satisfy every fan uh, demand available um now we i know i've talked about this before it's the uh elephant in the room isn't it i feel and i've said this before in another uh, other episodes uh it kind of seems like rise of skywalker was kind of a checklist uh a a film that kind of went through a checklist um i've said it before so uh felt like jj went off a checklist respect the lightsaber check lesbian kiss check ben and ray hook up check uh, what did you guys think? What do you guys think of that article uh, claiming that Rise of Skywalker is kind of uh, the the ultimate fan service for um, and you know I'll, I'll use the term you guys will know what I'm talking about the dude bros that didn't like the Last Jedi. Um, it's uh, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's 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 one of those it's it's one of those things where uh, like like Alex was saying it's it's. You know, you can no longer like a Star Wars movie without, especially nowadays because of the sequel trilogy, without, um, without tying it to the last two years or three years, Alex, like you said, um, based on the blood feud that the fans have had. I mean, now there's people that are, are really enjoying The Rise of Skywalker and some people are like hating on them for that. Uh, similar to when people were enjoying The Last Jedi and different people were, you know, hating on them. It's, it's, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, you, you can't please the fans.
3: Yeah, I don't know if i go that far. You can. You can please them. Rogue One did it for almost, you know, pretty much across the board. There are some people who claim that it's not a good movie, and that's their opinion. Uh, but the movie itself, I think most people that are fans are like, yeah, I love Rogue One. Rogue One was great. Uh, same with Mandalorian, almost universally across the board, people are like, Mandalorian's awesome, man. We love it, even with its, you know, couple plot conveniences and and thirty minute episodes was kind of a rough spot. But honestly, people were like, this show's great, keep going, yeah, give us season two. Uh, so I don't, I don't think you, I don't think it's impossible to please the fans. It's impossible to please everybody. That I mean, that's just a true to life statement. Um, but you know, as far as fan service goes. I, like I, I kind of want to say this again, but the, the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker are are so unique in the amount of negativity that surrounds them that I can't really include them in this discussion as far as like normal everyday movie fan service because it's like it's on another level. It's it's specifically because of those two movies that that fan service exists. It's not just. Uh, fan service for the franchise itself or or because, you know, this one moment was beloved 20 years ago, so we're kind of recreating it now to, to pay homage. It's not the same thing. It's very, very different and people who, who dislike The Rise of Skywalker because of how fan servicey it is, it's not the type of fan service that we've seen throughout the entire saga or throughout Star Wars history it's specifically the fan service about The Last Jedi that they're talking about so it's like I, again, I, I can't really include them in this conversation because I, I want to talk about like, like the prequel fan service of having Chewbacca and Yoda know each other. That's a fan service moment that didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's cool that they're on Kashyyyk and all, but like, you know, Chewbacca was with Han and Han didn't really believe in, in Jedi or the force. But then we have Chewbacca who was at the clone wars with Jedi and stuff like that. So, you know, there's moments there where you're like, yeah, that was definitely fan service. Um, I'm trying to think what else um, the prequels did. Because George, George was very self-aware, or maybe it was the people that was working with him for the prequels, uh, very self-aware of what the, the uh, original trilogy was and, and what it meant to people. And he, he injected a lot of fan service in the prequel trilogy. Um, I, I, give me some ideas. What else happened in the prequels that was kind of like overtly fan servicey?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you, I, I get what saying. You,
3: you're a big-time prequel fan, bro. What's... Uh, you know I, what
0: though, I love yeah, the prequels.
3: I do. T- yeah, I mean, I don't. I can't say that. I don't love them, but they're they're uh, they're they're growing on me as I get older. Um, but the uh, I don't know. There's just moments in those movies where I'm like, wow, that is so. That's such a moment that like only a fan would get, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just kind of like, oh, Jabba having Jabba there uh during the pod racing like that was a fan service moment it didn't it wasn't bad it was you know it, it makes sense that he would be there he was on Tatooine He was kind of like the big the big stud on campus so it makes sense that he was there but it was very fan servicey to have a young Jabba the Hut. uh young Greedo young Greedo yeah oh, yeah oh, that's there you right. go yeah that's a good one that's yeah. a good moment yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like it's moments big, like that where you're like fun, okay we get right. we see you George we see what you're doing yeah <laughs> Like those are the types of fun fan servicey moments that you can have an opinion on if you liked them or not. Like this whole Last Jedi Rise of Skywalker feud that people have, it's like it's it's so outside of the realm of what Star Wars is to me that I, I just I'm like, I can't pay attention to it anymore. It's 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 exhausting. <laughs>
0: so speaking of rise of skywalker we asked a few people on uh, <laughs> we asked uh, some of our followers uh about how they felt now that the sequel trilogy is over star wars is done at least this chapter of star wars uh we got a couple of voicemails that uh, i'd like to share with you guys uh let's take a listen to a few of those as we uh, round out this episode and uh, we'll hit you guys back on
1: the streets of Coruscant.
4: Hey, this is Josh uh, calling in to answer your question about how I feel at the end of the Skywalker saga. Um, I, you know, nine movies, technically 11 movies, I guess, with Solo and Rogue One. Um, I feel hopeful in many ways. I think... The success of The Mandalorian was uh, phenomenal, and I'm really excited for the Kenobi series, Mandalorian Season 2, um, and the Cassian Andor show. Uh, but I'm also cautiously sort of keeping my uh, expectations low because I don't really know what we're going to get in terms of other movies. Um, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. And I'm still not entirely over them. Completely shelving the EU—that um, will always burn deep, deep in my my soul. But overall, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I'm I'm happy the Skywalker saga is over. We needed something different. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work.
5: Hey guys, it's Pete Fletcher. I just saw the post on Twitter about Star Wars Episode Nine being done and having watched all the films since I was a wee seven-year-old in 1977 in a darkened theater in New Jersey. All I can say is the way I feel is I am just glad that I lived to see all nine episodes. Who would have thought we'd actually get all nine that we were promised and rumored when we were kids? It was just amazing to see the whole thing come to a dramatic conclusion. And whether you love the movie or didn't love it, you got to love that we've had 42 years of Star Wars movies and things to talk about. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Ro and the Scuttlebutt crew. This is Jeff from over here at the Blue Mill Cafe. And I just wanted to call in because I saw that you wanted to know our thoughts on now that the saga is complete. H- how are we feeling? What, what, what are we feeling about the entire saga here and how it ended in The Rise of Skywalker? Personally, I am very satisfied. I really enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker. I know it's another divisive movie, but what would Star Wars be without a divisive movie nowadays? But those are my quick feelings on the overall saga. And here's a little shameless plug. If you want to know my full feelings, just tune into my podcast, The Blue Mill Cafe, and go back a couple episodes and you can hear my entire thoughts and feelings about the Rise of Skywalker. Until then, guys, have a great day and may the Force be with you. Hey, Ro, Alex, and
6: Brad. This is Todd Hoffman from WSTR Galactic Public Access. Uh, you recently asked, am I satisfied with the saga closing, um, been 42 years in the making, and I'm right on the cusp of seeing all the movies in the theater. Um, but I, you know, Empire was imprinted in my mind. And so, uh, yeah, as a little boy. So I think I am satisfied with the, the Skywalker saga. Obviously, uh, you can nitpick every movie. Um, I don't think. The Rise of Skywalker closed out the saga as well as it closed out the sequel trilogy. So, um but I mean as far as Star Wars is concerned, of course I'm satisfied, it is an opportunity for many different things. Not and the movies are just a part of it and that, that's where I think people get hung up sometimes, is that movies is just a little and um but Star Wars has opened up so many opportunities for myself and my personal life as well as kind of professionally, I guess um, it just uh, really, you know, got to form friendships and meet people I've never would have met before through the vehicle of Star Wars. And so to that, I am satisfied. It, it's beyond words of what those opportunities were and continue to be. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I love Star Wars, always going to love Star Wars. any, any new Star Wars is great, Star Wars. Um, are there things that could be fixed or changed? Sure. Of uh, course, Lucas, you could do that all the time. But, um, you know, yes, I want to see the JJ cut. Yes, I want to see all these other things that are out there. But at the end of the day, Star Wars has definitely left me uh, a satisfied feeling. So uh really appreciate you guys. Continue to keep up the good work. And may the Force be with you always.
5: Hey, Charlie Skywalker and Black Squadron 2 checking in. How do I feel that now that nine films are done? Strangely satisfied. I'm not looking ahead, and I'm just taking the nine movies as a whole. It's a different ending than I thought it would be, but I felt satisfied in the way that it was handled. I'm excited for what further Star Wars action we're going to get here in the near future. Thank you for your time. Deploy the garrison. Hi, this is Nicholas, and thinking about what you said about looking forward, I am glad that they are wrapped up with uh, this sequel trilogy. And as someone who came from the OT trilogy as, as what was my Star Wars, I'm glad that they're going to get away from those movies, from those legacy characters, because... Between the expanded universe and everything we've uh, built up in our minds, uh, nothing can live up to that. So no matter what they did, we weren't going to be happy. But now they can get away from that and go to something new. I think it uh, is a good chance for a lot of us to get back on board uh, with the new movies. Anyways, that's just my thought, and you're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast.
1: This is Marisha from Coruscant Radio Underground.
3: And this is Yana from the Padawan Report.
1: And this is the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast, your source for everything going on in that galaxy far, far away.
3: And that's the Scuttlebutt.
0: And we are back. Thank you guys for that. Uh, Really great messages. Remember, we've got a voicemail that uh, the number right now is escaping me, but I will uh, look it up and let you guys know. Thank you to everyone that submitted a voicemail. I just want to remind you, if you're listening to us here now, we are continuing this conversation over at the Jedi Temple Archives podcast channel with you, Rob, another one of our mega crossover episodes fan service, The Other Four Letter Word. Alex, the Scare of Scuttlebutt is planning some new and exciting episodes in the next few weeks. After this, we've got uh, really great stuff planned. What do we got?
3: All right, everybody, listen up. We've got another mega crossover episode planned with our friends at Coruscant Radio Underground, Andrew and Marisha, and we're talking about Star Wars novels. Which are your favorites? From the Thrawn trilogy to Lost Stars to Cave and Scott stories, maybe a few comics or two, and we'll revisit what was almost the sequel to Star Wars A New Hope, Alan Dean Foster's Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Don't miss it later this month.
0: That is fantastic. I want to say a special shout-out to our uh, past two Scarif swag winners. Feed2D2 won the Chewbacca. Uh, She just tweeted that uh, she got Chewie the Funko Pop that we gave away by posing with her cute little Pup dressed in full Chewy regalia. Regalia. Uh, check out her post by looking for our hashtag Scarif Swag or hashtag #RoadTo1500 as well. Uh, so our winners. Uh, he was the our winner of the Creating the Worlds of Star Wars book, an amazing book. Uh, the winner Scott D4571. He was able to snag that wonderful book. And just a reminder, we love to spread the love, the Star Wars love to our followers we frequently do giveaways like uh like the one we just mentioned uh also we'll be giving away all of rob's lightsabers that you see in the background <laughs> five lucky followers will win those rob isn't that right oh. yes rob, i'm unfollowing you right now just so i can join them. <laughs> <laughs> no just kidding we do love giving stuff away so on behalf of team scarif this is Ro. see you on the other side alex please if you would do the honors And that's
3: the scuttlebutt.